You hear a lot in the news about the upcoming electric truck revolution, but what you don't hear enough about is the logistical hurdles that are involved with it, such as how to keep them charged or how the electric grid will incorporate their use. Well, folks, today is our lucky day as we're going to do a deep dive recent electric truck infrastructure breakthroughs and, by the way, battle common misperceptions in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson, your friendly neighborhood enterprise trucking carrier expert. And headlines often hype up the potential of electric trucks, but they gloss over the crucial task of keeping them charged and building the infrastructure to charge them. Well, it's often much more exciting to see the video of an autonomous or electric vehicle going down the road rather than the unglamorous shots of it charging somewhere stationary. Well, it reminds me of an old saying, amateurs talk tactics, but professionals talk logistics. And we're here today to talk about the logistics of electric trucks and how companies are making it their goal to worry about it so you don't have to. Now, the concept is deceptively simple, charging as a service, but digging deeper opens up a whole new world of real estate, electrical utilities, construction, and what type of plug you need to charge a vehicle. Now, joining us today to talk about the electric truck infrastructure and its opportunities is Rich Moore, Global Vice President Fleet at ChargePoint. Now, prior to joining ChargePoint, Rich spent over 25 years at Rider Systems, Inc., and he knows a thing or two about electric vehicles. Welcome, Rich. Hey, Thomas. Nice to see you. Happy to have you on and just super excited. He had you at the ChargePoint seminar, wanted to bring you on Loaded and Rolling for folks because... You know, there's a lot going on in this segment. And something that really interested me was how interested it are fleets in this. And so if we're talking on like a scale of one to 10, um, you know, is everyone like super hyped or are there any kind of differences? Yeah, I think there's some there's some big differences still on why customers are adopting early. I think there, there's probably three kind of categories that are getting companies to early adopt, um, whether it's a municipality or it's a freight company or it's a final mile company. And generally what you're seeing is, you know, it's a it's a customer of that client that's asking them what their sustainability goals are as a requirement of doing business, or they're getting um, pressure from their board or from their uh, their management team to cut emission costs, you know, to meet the company's goals. And then additionally, I think um, companies are looking to see what is the TCO advantage that they're going to get over an ele- of an electric vehicle over a, a, a traditional da- gas or diesel vehicle. I think th- those are the main areas where you're seeing adoption early um, across North America. And there's kind of in an earlier interview, the difference between like last mile and over the road. It looks like earlier, is it still a situation where over the road trucking is still trying to figure it out with the total cost of ownership compared to like uh, the last mile folks? Yeah, I think well the 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 nice thing about last mile folks is the the routes are are fairly fixed um in the aspect that they always return the home um each night. So, you know, though the the route might not be fixed, you know, every single stop along the way. I think the consistent um the consistent thing about last mile is, you know, generally you're going to fuel when you come back to the depot and you're going to return to the depot every night. So it makes balancing power and energy and frankly, having access to charging much easier than over the road. You know, o- over the road, you know, o- eventually you'll see some applications over the road that'll go electric. I think more of that middle mile and last mile, you'll see a much 
greater increase in um, EV adoption for, for the next, you know, five, 10 years. And then you'll start seeing applications that make sense over the road. But it, it's got to make sense from a weight standpoint and from a cost of fuel and access to fuel um, standpoint over the road. So, you know, you're, you're seeing announcements of a number of OEMs, you know, participating in, in heavy duty fueling networks, you know, off highway. There's certainly going to be a place for that where it makes sense, where there's port and then there's business park applications, you know, in heavy, heavy urban areas. That's certainly going to make sense, um, you know, but you're still, you know, under 300 miles a day. Um, type of operations where you're returning or you're fueling on route. And when we're talking about weight aspects, is that just because there's the weight of the battery inside the cab? So over the road is going to be kind of shoehorned compared to some of these last mile folks who can be creative on the weight? Yeah, because you'll see vehicles, you know, especially electric vehicles that, you know, inherently a little bit heavier because of the battery. So the, the heavier loads tend to weight out before they cube out. Um, and that type of scenario. So, you know, lighter loads obviously are better. They're they're gentler on range and every other aspect of transportation. And that, that applies to the diesel world too. But, you know, because of the the class eight vehicles, you know, being at eighty thousand pounds and then you get a ten thousand pound exemption, you know, for EVSE in the in most of the US, I believe, you know, you still are overcoming a slightly heavier vehicle than a diesel vehicle. So if you're weight conscious more than cube out conscious then you have to take that into consideration. So those are all the factors that the transportation companies are getting really comfortable with now. And like trying to test it, uh, I got to speak with uh, the folks at Covenant with the new nickel electric truck, and they're trying to test out some of that. They told us the total cost of ownership. It's already like in a situation where it looks like you can save money compared to diesel costs with fuel costs. Uh, is that something where are you just, you know, when they're calculating total cost of ownership, is it straight a one-to-one I'm saving on fuel? Or do these guys look into other things like how much it costs to charge it, uh, the electricity costs? Yeah, so we, we've looked at total cost of ownership for years, obviously, in, in my old position. And you have to take in a number of factors. It's, it's not just the cost of fuel or the cost to acquire the equipment. You know, a lot of it has to come to do with, you know, the net vehicle investment you're making what you think the residual of that vehicle is going to be at the end of its life, what your total cost of ownership is going to be from a maintenance standpoint, you know, what, what is your total cost per mile to maintain that vehicle? And then on your, on your fuel rates on, you know, costing what the infrastructure costs at your facility, and then plus what your cost of fuel is going to be. So there's a number of inputs that you need to take into consideration, you know, and some of them are, are intangible, right? And, and it's not a hard cost. And I think that what you're seeing on the transports is, you know, um, benefit on driver retention. Do you take that into consideration when you're deploying electric vehicles versus, you know, ICE vehicles? Those are all the things that companies are trying to take into consideration. Also, one of the things you have to take into consideration over the next couple of years is, you know, does it give you a competitive advantage over other people in your segment because you offer transport and, uh, you know, a zero emission vehicle? So, there's a little bit of strategy for companies when they're looking at how they're going to electrify, you know, w- what is the total kind of baked cost of their TCO. So it's it's not just, you know, the truck, the fuel, you know, the maintenance and the residual. There's a lot of other factors that come into that decision when you're making a purchase decision around EV versus um, ICE. And looking at retention, I wanted to dive into that. When you're working with some of these clients, uh, is that something where a lot of these drivers are finding out that it's actually just a lot better experience as well driving these electric vehicles? Yeah, I mean, and I, I've been on both sides of this. I, I piloted some of the very first electric vehicles years ago, um, you know, up in up in Boston and and in some of the heavy urban areas, and and even in early vehicles, you know, 
mine is getting over the initial fear of well, what do I do when I'm on the road and I fuel? They quickly figure out that they didn't really fuel anyways. You know, 99% of the time they would go, go out, do deliveries and come back, you know, and they never touched the fuel pump. So you get over that. But overall, as the technology's gotten better, certainly the driver's satisfaction has gone from from good, you know, maybe from better to good to great when you look at it. So, you know, it's definitely a better experience, you know, for a driver to be in an electric vehicle. I mean, I, I drive an EV. My wife drives an EV. I've been in EV trucks. You know, when you when you can dial in the technology from a reliability standpoint, not only from a driver reliability, but from a maintenance reliability, I think th- those are all the factors that that really, you know, because you can't just it's not just keeping the driver happy. You got to keep your 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 maintenance facility happy, your technicians happy, people that have to coordinate your purchasing of your vehicle happy. There's a lot of stakeholders in a company um, to make sure they're satisfied with this, with this equipment. Um, drivers certainly should be front of mind, you know, to reduce injuries, you know, give them a better work experience, you know, make them more productive so they're more comfortable, and then certainly. EVs bring a lot of uh, benefits to that. Um, you know, it's, it's a quieter vehicle. You can hear yourself think when you're driving. It's, you know, the acceleration is better than a typical diesel or gas vehicle. Um, and then so overall, it's a, it's a gentler ride um, for the driver experience. And I want to dig into, uh, I got to ride in a Nikola truck and it was cool. It was one of the little day cabs and it was extremely quiet. But the infrastructure aspect when I spoke with them was very interesting. I think this is something you can touch on was that a lot of the infrastructure is not set up to even handle it. And the utility company said, yeah, we'll totally do it. And it turns out they had to plug in a generator next door at the customer's location that runs yeah. on diesel just to charge it. So while you're working on charging yeah. as a service, like what's the, what's the landscape right now that we're, we're talking about? Yeah, we get this question a lot. You know, one of the things that we developed that we showed at uh, ACT earlier in the year was uh, was um, paired DC fast chargers on a skid. Um, so essentially, it's on a it's on a palletized skid. It's an open it's an open configuration that can you know be easily loaded by a forklift into a truck and and dropped on a yard and hooked either into the grid um, or hooked into a building if they have a you know the four hundred amp service available. So. We're definitely trying to make sure that when customers need to do deployments, that they have quick ways not to break open a lot of concrete in their yard or cut open asphalt, you know, or frankly, you know, impede on the lease that they have on that property. So we have enough um, solutions now where we can quickly deploy vehicles um, or chargers for vehicles and those type of applications. But yeah, it requires some planning, um, you know, to ship a skid halfway across the country takes a couple of days. You have to coordinate with your EPC. Um, or utility to make sure that you have access to the energy at the curb if it's available. Th- those are all things that, you know, we try and work well in advance with customers to make sure they're successful so they don't run into a situation where they got to run down to the local rental store and, you know, rent a diesel generator. That That's, you know, that's not a way that you, you'd like to, you'd like to do this ideally. I understand that it, it happens in, um, when you're doing demonstrations and, you know, in emergencies. And I'm thinking of 400 amps. So I'm not very familiar with the electricity aspect, but a lot of these warehouses are, some are like 50, 60 years old. There's a lot of aging infrastructure. Is that something where if I'm trying to start this thing and I own the property, do I got to get with my local utility or do I got to start drilling into stuff? How do you even approach this thing where you say, I really want this at my warehouse, but where, where do you even start? Yeah, so I think one of the things that we wanted to make sure when we were coming up with a mobile solution that we had an integrated panel, electrical panel, so you didn't have to work into a situation where um, you had to add an additional panel to a building, knowing that you had limitations on the older buildings. Most of the newer buildings will have that level of service or greater. Now, likely they're being used to run their warehouse. So there's a lot of 
heavy equipment that gets run in a warehouse and generally they're, they're maximizing that energy. So yeah, certainly coordinate with the utility to make sure that there's a line available on the curb, that they're upgrading the, the line coming in. It's not an enormous amount of power to do a couple DC fast chargers. We have energy management that is pretty gentle on the DC load. We can set a cap on a per kilowatt basis to make sure that you can have a number of ports and use a limited amount of DC. So, you know, with software, um, it does make deployment of DC fairly gentle while you learn how to scale and you coordinate with the utility to scale. And, w- and we help with that. Um, everything from the first time we do a site walk all the way to when we commission the product. And thinking of smart charging, um, I know some utilities, I actually heard from somebody at California, PG&E said that they're trying to install technology on your AC so that it'll cut it off for 15 minutes and it raises and it turns back on to save power. When you're looking at smart charging for trucks, is that kind of a similar approach where we're going to charge during non-peak hours or how would you even approach as a utility? Is there a right time to charge? Yeah, so the right time to charge is, is primarily based on your operation, right? And when the vehicles have dwell time. Um, and then you're taking into consideration what is the energy availability of that site during that dwell time and what does the state of charge of those vehicles need to be in order to dispatch and do their routes. So those are the main factors that we look at. And then we design the software balance of power around that. And, and there's, a, there's a ton of different ways to do it, as it, you know, whether it's a light truck application, a medium, or you know, all the way up to a bus application where we're charging you know, a lot of very big batteries, you know, 400 north of 400 kW batteries. Um, that we have to balance. So the the balance of power is super important. You, you want to have the right amount of power for your site to run your operation, but you don't want to use more power than what you need to, faster you need to. You know, it, you know, having DC doesn't change versus having AC. You know, low and slow is always the best way to charge vehicles, AC or DC. And as slow as possible, it's, it's gentlest on the grid, it's gentlest on the vehicles, you know, and it's the cheapest way to charge. Now, knowing that, um, in a DC world, we do have to balance power between vehicles. So the vehicle that needs to be dispatched at 6 a.m. versus the one that has to be dispatched at 9 a.m. does hit its desired state of charge when it's time to dispatch. And that, that's, what, that's the work that we do with fleets around integrating their telematics devices into our, our software um, and the designing smart charging um, in our software offering so it can work throughout AC and DC uh, applications. And looking at like, as you're working on charging as a service. Is that something where, uh, is the goal to be kind of agnostic to whatever you plug into it? Uh, or is there something you have to make adjustments for like different, uh, I'm assuming different plugins or different makes and models? Is there something where there's maybe some uh, uniformity that's starting to come or does it make it harder when you're trying to help folks out? No, fairly straightforward. I mean, from a, from a hardware standpoint, we're agnostic. We, we, um, we, we think our hardware works best with our software. It adds some features that's not available in the in the market as a whole. Um, but we will we will support any OCPP 1.6 or greater hardware that's available, you know, throughout North America and Europe. And a number of hardware manufacturers that we've brought on probably probably more than most. So when you look at it from a from a, a hardware standpoint, you know, it doesn't change your methodology on how you do software management. So the the CMS, which is the charge management system. That we have it, it it treats you know one dc charger just like the other dc charger from a balanced power standpoint now if you want to do some special features like in a retail environment where you're doing waitlisting or you know you're doing dynamic pricing you know based on you know time of day you know we we think that you know our chargers have the mo- most robust features for that retail environment but when you take it behind the fence and you're starting to do balance of power and some of the basic power management features 
we, we can run any, any hardware that a depot has deployed. Um, you know, typically we think from a serviceability standpoint, coming back to TCO, when you look at the, the charge point hardware, the way it was designed and built is allow you to be able to easily service that hardware, you know, at any component level. And the software that we have, you know, diagnoses that hardware at the component level so you can get predictive maintenance on that charger, know what's going to break on that charger well before it does, and then have visibility down to the component level in the software so we can make the right part decision um, on that charger. And it also adds a lot of value to customers because they're able to forward stock parts. They're able to, um, you know, have quick access to O&M partners to be able to fix their their chargers on site. So it just adds a lot of value um, rather than having to run a mixed, a mixed fleet of uh, AC or DC solutions. And so that's kind of like the future in state. So I'm assuming if I had a fleet of 50 trucks, I go full electric. Uh, those are the questions in the future I need to ask. Like, when am I using these trucks? How quick do they need to be charged? And how much am I going to get charged for the cost of taking that extra juice out of the grid versus low and slow, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we, we bring in in our software all the utility rates on where you are. Um, so, you, so we bring all that information in from every utility in North America. So you can see the pr- price per kilowatt that's coming in versus what is going out. And obviously, in a retail environment, you're going to charge more than than what you're getting from the utility because you have to make you have to recoup your money. But on the fleet side, it's a little different, right? So, you know, on the fleet side, you're really trying to understand when is the right time to charge those vehicles based on your operation, and then optimizing against the fuel cost, the the, the price per kilowatt on the utility. And you're, you're going to see a mixture of uh, different types of solutions that are come. And we we really don't care. Um, where the energy comes from per se, because our, our job at ChargePoint is to make sure that those vehicles are charged at the right rate, at the right rules, that we don't exceed a cap, and that we optimize the energy that's available across those vehicles to hit their desired state of charge. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that a company with a solar strategy or a battery backup strategy or a microgrid strategy, you know, they are trying to make the best use of their energy available we will we support that through our our charging um, software. So, if in the afternoon, you know, they have vehicles that return halfway through the day that do need demand to charge and go out and do another route, if that energy needs to come from a microgrid because they have a solar strategy and a microgrid on their facility, that that'll come through the charger and and be used, um, you know, rather than straight off the utility. We've had lots of situations like that that we work with customers to make sure that we're taking the right energy at the right time you know, for the right vehicle at the right route. Those are all the things that we, we have to solve for customers and they expect us to solve for them. It kind of blows my mind because, uh, you know, you, you think of just fueling up and trucking as it is. It's, a, it's an effort, it's tedious sometimes, but I, I wouldn't imagine wanting to be a trucking executive and here's my terminal. By the way, am I doing the solar this time? Do I have the batteries hanging out behind here? And so that at least that's kind of the future is the service part as you do all this work and there's actually a very scalable opportunity here because, you know, half the trucking still stuck in the 80s with an Excel spreadsheet, it feels like. Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly from a fuel standpoint, you know, where, where I came from, you know, I think if you look at most of the big transports around North America on the fuel standpoint, because fuel, you know, is fairly stable, but it has a lot of volatility. And if you look at all the cycles over the past, you know, 20 years, so the, the companies that... Um, that are in transportation have done a really nice job implementing tools around, you know, fuel savings. And they do that through a number of, a number of methods, right? So a lot of it is around fuel card integration, how they leverage their fuel card programs for on-route fuel versus wet hose fuel versus on-site fuel. 
So when you look at some of those integrations with the with the bigger fuel car companies that the transports rely on, we spent a ton of time and effort trying to integrate um, with those fuel card companies um, early. So when a transport does switch over to an electric fleet, when they fuel an electric vehicle, that price per kilowatt going into that vehicle, you know, basically converts straight into their fuel card um, program. So they'll see a price per kilowatt, just like they'll see a gallon of, of uh, liquid fuel. And the, the goal is to not have the transport company have to change any of their systems or operations just because they have an electric vehicle. So all the integrations that they've done with their fuel card company into their ERP and their back end, that all stays the same. So we make sure that everything works exactly like it works right now, the current way they fuel, except now they're returning home and they're plugging in a vehicle. But even on route, so when the drivers on the smaller vehicles, you know, can use on route charging, which there are a lot of smaller vehicles that will use on route. When that driver uses their, their WEX app or they use their fuel card, to tap and pay at that charging station, that transaction is going to go through just like they went at a liquid fueling station. They're going to get the same access control. They're going to get the same reporting by driver. We've tried to make this as easy as possible for companies to transition over. Um, so I think from a technology standpoint, the transports have done a, a really good job adopting technology to try and um, make the best out of their, their fueling situation, whether they have to do it on route or back at the depot. And a quick question about incentives. Uh, we hear about in some states with rebates. Recently, the Inflation Reduction Act has some big incentives coming up, I think up to 40000 uh, Just as a predictive thing, in your opinion, do you think that may help out with some of the uh, folks deciding to try it out as kind of like total cost of ownership? Or do you think we're still moving in this direction regardless of the carrot? Yeah, we're moving in this, this direction regardless. I think, you know, from an incentive standpoint, companies don't make you know, long-term buying decisions based on incentives, right? They make long-term buying decisions based on what's right for their operation, their fleet, and their customers. So, you know, but, you know, sure, will you buy a couple of vehicles because you can easily pilot it in a state? Um, sure. And and if you need, you know, if you're considering an R&D and you want to pilot those vehicles in, in different ap- applications, sure, it helps to adopt. But that that's not what's going to tip you over to make a long-term buying decision and convert your fleet from, you know, your current fuel to EV. What, what's going to tip you over is, you know, how those vehicles are using your operation. You know, who are the stakeholders in your company that have, you know, gone along with you to make investments that see the benefit in that? Are your customers recognizing the benefit of that? You know, your drivers and then, you know, overall is your P&L, you know, feeling the benefit of EV long term. That's ultimately what the tipping point is. I think, you know, on the, on the heavier applications like transit and school bus, it makes an enormous amount of sense, um, you know, the, the the incentives that are coming out because there is a ton of infrastructure and really heavy infrastructure for bus and school bus. Um, so I think you're going to see a good balance of that. But, you know, most of the transports in the U.S., they're, they're not making a buying decision based on incentives. It's helping them adopt, but it's not going to help them convert their entire fleet, um, you know, over a shorter period of time. They're going to do that, you know, based on when they're their vehicles are coming to the end of their life, you know, into their typical buying pattern of X amount of vehicles they're going to replace per year. Um, those are those are the type of decisions that they're going to take into consideration. So it's like they're, you already make the decision. You're you're moving the cruise ship anyway, so you're you know that's not yeah. going to be that big a change. If folks are interested in learning more about ChargePoint as well as trying to sign up or work with y'all, how would you recommend they get in contact? So ChargePoint.com. You can you can click on the fleet page. You have all of our information on all, all of our products and services. There's a uh, you know fleet at chargepoint.com email address on there. It'll it'll go to anyone on my fleet team. You, everyone has access. We have great 
documents if you just need to learn more about the industry and you're working on a board presentation or you're working on you know a presentation for your boss on what it means AC versus DC you know we have plenty of resources for customers that that's not charge point specific to to get you to the next phase of this we can give recommendations you know on vehicle types and what's running across the US right now you know we can you know we're, we're seeing a lot of movement towards yard tractors we've done an enormous amount of work around doing some analysis around some of the, the yards that have a lot of, a lot of yard tractors operating and help to help them understand what the impact is on the investment of the infrastructure so all that that information is available you'll never get anyone that doesn't want to give you information so you can make the right decision at your company. I really do appreciate your time, Rick. This was an amazing time as well. And I'll tell folks we got to check out the ChargePoint webinar as well, just to learn a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. It'd be great to see everyone. Thank you so much, sir. Check out that webinar as well. I happen to host it, but we have some really cool folks on there. Uh, you can also find Loaded and Rolling, the newsletter, kind of like Spaceballs, the merchandise here, every two Wednesday and Saturday, Wednesday night and Saturday morning, give you something to read on the weekend while you're hanging out. Uh, you know, sometimes as well. If you want to look and watch the podcast, we have it on Apple as well as Spotify. And if you like to catch us live like you just did now, uh, for those not listening to the podcast, you can check us out every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Wonderful, phenomenal conversation as well. You got to check these ChargePoint guys out, these folks, guys and gals, really amazing technology. And uh, that's going to be it for the show today. But keep it classy. Join us next week. We'll do it live. 